politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, property, culture, civilization, and our basic ability to survive here on this brand new month. November 1st is Wednesday. Brand new month, but same old problems and same need for a solution. So we could spend the time debating uh, whether Ron DeSantis is 5'10 or 5'11, like uh, some of my colleagues like to do, or we could actually come up with some real solutions to some pretty serious problems. And and what are those problems? They essentially boil down to anarcho-tyranny, a government that is at war with, with its people, while we have other enemies, such as Islam, and I will say it straight out, But it all gets back to our government because they make us weak, vulnerable to Islam and also bring them in. They give us an open border. They let out the criminals, domestic and foreign. Literally read the preamble of the Constitution, why we have a social compact, and our government does the opposite. So so where does that leave us? We have the tyranny and we have the anarchy. And increasingly, even if you could run away from Things like digital currency, theoretically, and tyranny of, of the biomedical security state. All right, you know, so I won't get the flu shot. I won't get the RSV shot. But you can't really run away from, like we talked about yesterday, millions of illegal aliens, uh, endless Islamists just dotting the landscape, not just of their big cities, but even even small towns. Obviously, any solution we come up with has to revolve around pieing the corner. When you clear a room of terrorists, of criminals, you have to pie the corner. You, you, you bite off you know, the area that you could see and feel that you can control um, in a way that you're not open to a shot, but you could take a shot at the terrorists. All right, you clear that, clear, 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 and you bite off one at a time. Right now... While we have some red areas that are better than others, we don't have any red state utopia. Or, And when I say utopia, I don't mean in its literal sense, but I mean even living with the level of liberty, ordered liberty and security. So freedom from government tyranny and security from domestic and foreign threats in the way we lived last generation. We don't have that. Some areas are better than, than others. And we need to start with the red, the reddest areas in the reddest states and kind of pie the corner. Get local governments that reflect our values, the school board, the sheriff, the prosecutor, county council, state your state legislators that represent your area. The, our biggest effort and money should be put into governors so that we could foster that at a state level. And then ultimately, when you have all of these security problems, it boils down to the need to create citizen sheriff's posses where ultimately we need a militia movement, okay, a real one, but not not one that's just going to be laughed off or one that's going to be infiltrated and destroyed by the feds, but one that's brought in under the color of law. And what I want to be pushing with our sheriffs and state legislatures is a plan to 
give funding and authorization from the state because it's going to take some degree of funding for sheriffs to train and equip individuals, you know, starting with maybe veterans living in a certain red county that are going to be an extension of law enforcement. Bring it under the color of law. And you would train and equip these people with weapons that normally we wouldn't be able to get, but now now those individuals will. And they will have the authorities, most of the authorities of the local sheriff's deputies and police force. And it will serve as a bulwark both against the tyranny and the anarchy part of what the government is foisting upon us. So if we have illegal aliens, we have Islamic nutcases, we have domestic criminals threatening people, you will now have a force multiplier, but not just more manpower. It's of, by, and for the citizenry. Right now, there's too much of a wall dividing law enforcement, which is more of a tool for the state and the people. You need people to feel like they're a part of something, feel like there's something that they can do and protect their own area at its most local level. And it also will create this synergistic relationship that will give us our best chance, not just of fighting the anarchy, but the tyranny as well. And what I mean by that is, right now, if you have an individual with his AR-15, with his 9mm pistol, you might be able to ward off a burglar or something. But there are two things that we need a more robust force for. A Hamas-style attack, or BLM-style mass attack, you know, one guy with an AR is not going to cut it. You need a unified group of people with a plan in your neighborhood to bind together brothers in arms led by, you know, especially veterans of the Gulf War era, warriors that we had before the military got destroyed. But then also, is a bulwark against tyranny. Because let's face it, if you had your own militia, not under the color of law, the feds will mow you down in 30 seconds. The Overton window has not shifted, on the other hand, enough that they would go after something that's together with a county and state government. We might get there one day, but now's the time to you know, draw that line in the sand. And this is really what our founders envisioned with a militia. It, you know, We're too focused on often trying to decouple the right the individual right to uh, carry uh, weapons from the, the militia, and, and we're right about that reading of it, but the militia is also important in its own right. And it's funny, like, you know, the left's like, no, the Second Amendment's only for a militia. I almost feel like calling them out on it. All right, you're right. Okay, let's, let's have militias, because that's ultimately what we need. And... As of this minute, I don't. It's kind of dynamic. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get Sheriff Mark Lamb on the air. If not, we'll get him on another day. But he has catalyzed this on some level in Pinal County, Arizona, and I want to expand it. Try to maybe get it in a state like Florida statewide. And in a state like Florida, it would take the form of one or two things: either each sheriff would do it, or maybe you do it under the auspices of the state guard. So you kind of have the state guard um, active duty, which Obviously, active duty for a state guard in itself is part-time, but then an even more part-time a group that's run by the sheriff unless the governor calls it up you know, to deal with a statewide emergency. 
where you will take care of your local area. And to me, this is not just important at a um, you know, security level and an anti-federal tyranny level, but also at a political level. We need people with skin in the game. It's part of creating an informed citizenry. What, 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 what's the problem we have? The reason why red states aren't red, red counties aren't red, is because we have garbage Republicans, and that flows from ignorance of at least the majority of local Republican voters. And then it's also the fact that we're allowing bad actors to get a foothold in red areas. You know, we talk about illegal aliens uh, changing the landscape in many places. What we need is kind of like analogous to, to a military where you create a kill zone, a perimeter. Our military is not good at, good at putting our heads on the ground in between Islamic civil wars, nor should we be good at that. But what we are good at is creating a perimeter, whether it's in the sea or by air, and, and by ground to an extent, and saying, we're going to, we, this is our safe zone where we can control anything that comes in that gets killed. And what I mean by a, we need a political kill zone, whereas we have people that are patrolling. And I, I mean, you know, physically with the sheriff when it comes to physical threats, but also politically as it relates to anything, any foreign harmful policy. If it's a green energy initiative that finds its way into a red area, of which there are many. If it's a tranny agenda. If it's illegal aliens, if it's anything that doesn't belong, that doesn't happen here. In other words, imagine having, you know, banning gay marriage in San Francisco. It never happens. I mean, there's no conservative policy that could happen in San Francisco. We need our equivalent. And I think this idea of a sheriff's posse where people have skin in the game and potentially have to put their lives on the line. You know, it's not just done by law enforcement, then they become separated and just tools of the state. You have the people that feel some sort of skin in the game. So I want to elaborate this by first just, again, building on what we talked about yesterday, the scope of the threat physically to our, to our security, and then also politically why red states aren't red and what we need to do about that. But first, our sponsor today is our friends at Quinn's Goat Soap qpgoatsoap.com. Okay, well, you know, now it's already November. A lot of people are thinking about Christmas shopping after years of of presents, you run out of creative ideas. What about having the healthiest, best smelling, best feeling, most natural soap ever made? Four seasons worth of soaps with different scents just for 99 bucks and you get 10% off free shipping as well with promo code Daniel. Uh, this is made by our ultimate parallel economy, a Blaze subscriber family, really run by their 16-year-old kid, Quinn. Quinn Pittman, that's what QP stands for, Christian homeschooling family. Uh, he, he truly is you know, kind of the Gen Zer that we're trying to raise. He fishes, he hunts, he learns classical education, and he's an entrepreneur. And you can make him an even greater entrepreneur by going to qpgoatsoap.com. Use promo code Daniel. 
a lot of good gifts, different men's uh, aftershave, different types of soap, shampoos. Good for your own home. Good for your health, by the way. Those of you who suffer from dry skin, it's worked on my dry skin as well. It has natural oils that uh, Zest and Dove don't have. In addition, uh, they're one of us rather than supporting BLM, of which those two companies actually do support. So again, QPGoatSoap.com, offer code Daniel for 10% off today. Folks, I, I, I want to play a two-and-a-half-minute clip of Ron DeSantis. It's long. It's a long clip of him talking about the nature of the threat of Islamic immigration. Take a listen here. There's a lesson, though, and I think what we're seeing just around the world, too, because in Europe, you've got a lot of, um, of communities that were basically imported from the Middle East with mass immigration, and instead of assimilating into Britain or Germany, they've basically taken the culture of the Middle East and brought it to those European countries. Some of those areas have no-go zones where the police won't even go because they're basically just governing it themselves. And anti-Semitism in Germany is now at the highest level since Adolf Hitler. It's not because the native Germans all of a sudden started to take a turn for the worse. It's because it was imported into Germany. So as I look at the United States, we cannot be importing people uh, who are going to bring those pathologies into our country. You know, you look at like an Ilhan Omar, Tlaib, some of them, you know, they're elected by people that agree with all these positions. Right. And so one of the reasons I came out very strongly with the first presidential candidate come out saying we're not going to be taking refugees from the Gaza Strip because you had left-wingers, the squad, they wanted to take hundreds of thousands of people uh, from the Gaza Strip. And I said, no, we're not going to do it. And the media is like, oh, well, are you saying that they're all terrorists? I'm like, no. Well, you know, they did elect Hamas, and they were cheering in the streets when October 7th happened, just like they were cheering in the streets when al-Qaeda knocked down the Twin Towers on September 11, 2001. And I remember that very distinctly. Um, but the question is, are, are you a terrorist or not? Obviously, we're not going to allow a terrorist into our country, or, or at least we shouldn't. I mean, Biden, you know, he's out to lunch, but you shouldn't do that, of course. But if you're somebody who's been taught from a young age to hate Jews, that Israel shouldn't exist, that is not somebody I think you want to be importing into the country. Mm. And so you end up importing, I think, a lot of the toxic culture that's developed in some of those communities throughout the Middle East uh, into your own country if you're not careful. So I would not do that at all. I think we need to learn the mistakes from Europe, uh, what they've done over the last 10 or 20 years, and they are going to have problems throughout Europe. Uh, for many, many decades because of what they did. So mm -hmm. let's just understand, you can't be politically correct about this, Simon. There are some folks that don't want to assimilate, uh, and they want to bring their culture and have their culture ultimately take over in different countries. So that's not for me. Like, like if you come to this country, one, you've got to be supportive of the ideals of this country, and two, you've got to be willing to assimilate into this country. Okay, folks, so, so you heard that perfect explanation. I have never seen someone explain it that cogently. I mean, he said it's not just about terrorists. I've been trying to explain this for years. It's not just about terrorists, known terrorists. It's you allow in the subversion of people who don't share your values. He explained perfectly what went on in Europe, and, and, and we're on the cusp of that here. And again, I think I think we are Europe in the big cities, the, the issue is finding ways to block it from happening in our red areas. We need to make it clear that 
our rural landscapes and red counties are not welcoming to unwelcoming people, to people who hate Jews and Christians. It's that simple. And hate America as a whole. And are just come here for their own selfish economic reasons. But hate this country, hate the values, and I don't just mean the current values that I think you and I hate of what America has become, but what America stands for and should be, you know, be and, and hopefully does still reflect in some parts of our areas. Now, in general, I just have trouble listening to Ron DeSantis because it's just like you listen to him and it's just I, I wish we didn't have an option like that. So then I could just feign ignorance that we don't have another option. You just listen to that and you're like, we can't have nice things. It's just, I don't know, too good to, to happen. Who knows? We'll find out what happens. I don't know. People are asking me about the polling data. Who knows? Who knows? Talk about that another time. But um, but that that that's exactly the point. Folks, it doesn't take a genius to understand that this is not a Hamas problem. It's not an ISIS problem. It's not an Iran problem. It's an Islam problem. This is from the Jerusalem Post. They did a poll. They have a poll uh, of Lebanese. Okay? The Lebanese people. And they found, the poll found broad support for the Hamas terror operation called Operation Al-Aqsa Flood. Um, 80% supported the Hamas massacre. Um, and there you have it. 98% of Shiite Muslims <laughs> supported it. So, we have brought in tens of thousands of people from Lebanon, and I don't just mean the border, but I mean on foreign students, on green cards, and that's who you're letting in, okay? Does it mean everyone's going to be a terrorist or even necessarily yell in the streets, kill the Jews? No, but a lot of them will, but almost all of them support that sentiment. Again, what is pluralistic about bringing that into your country? Well, I got news for you. We have brought that in in droves, obviously in Michigan, but it's it's everywhere. The amount of threats we have in this country from Lebanese terrorists is just earth-shattering. By the way, it's interesting. I don't know if you guys saw that this guy, um, oh, what's his name? It was the Egyptian prime minister, Mustafa Madbouli. He said, we are prepared to sacrifice millions of lives to ensure that no one encroaches upon our territory. He's, he's talking about keeping the Gaza animals out of Egypt. So here's a Muslim saying that he's going to keep them out. Okay? So if they believe that, then we should be very afraid. And again, we've already become Europe. The question is, will we have parts of the country that don't? That don't. One other story I want to share with you, the importance of arming a citizenry and keeping them together with law enforcement. Obviously, Israel really screwed up with their gun laws, and they left their people just defenseless, and I think they feel guilty about it. But right now, they're handing out uh, rifles to anyone, any civilian, 
Um, it's like, it's just like, I don't even know if they're doing background checks on their citizens. It's just boom. You know, you come in and uh, you have the cops there just have a table. I don't know if you've seen the videos table of them, but giving them out. So just as an aside, there's this kind of reactionary, know-nothing, retarded right that's adopting the left's pro-Palestinian talking points like, oh, the Israelis you know, did this on purpose. Again, if you're trying to control your people, you wouldn't hand out weapons like that. But the Biden administration um, is now in a diplomatic spat with, um, with Itamar Ben-Gavir, who is... He's like the interior guy there, the interior minister, the guy who's handing out the weapons. They're threatening to cut off aid to Israel if um, if they continue to hand out weapons. Um, this is from Yahoo News. The U.S. has threatened to stop supplying rifles to Israel after the national security minister was seen handing them out to civilians. Um, after several days of diplomatic exchanges, Israel committed to distributing the weapons only through its police or army, although politicians can be present when they're handed out. State Department spokesperson said President Biden directed his team to ensure Israel has what it needs to defend itself. Um, our assistance will flow quickly to meet Israel's demands. But, you know, they're upset about what they were doing. Retired Deputy Police Commissioner Shimon Lavi, who oversees the establishment of civilian security squads, and their arming said about 600 such groups have been created since October 7th. In addition, additional 1,200 squads, which work under the supervision of Israeli police, will be created in the near future, said Mr. Lavi. These squads normally provide enhanced security in the country's peripheral areas and in the West Bank settlements. That's what they call their Judea and Samaria towns, um, fighting the uh, Arab terrorist occupation of Judea and Samaria where clashes between Jewish settlers and the Palestinians are frequent. Um, Israeli police and army have stepped up raids in the occupied territories. Occupied territories, bastards. Um, and yada, yada, yada. So that is what we need here. We need to become one. Now, it took this sort of attack for that to occur, but we shouldn't wait for that. We need to work with our best sheriffs, and there are some good sheriffs. You know, pick your you know few hundred best in the best counties. We need to work on this training program. And by the way, as an aside, just you know, with that article there, if you noticed, you know, the Israelis lost fifteen soldiers already in Gaza. From what I could see, they have lost nobody in the so-called West Bank. If you notice, they have a firm iron grip. They have good operations. And while there's a bunch of hyenas, there's no rockets coming from Janine or Nabulus or Ramallah. You know, those areas where you have those uh, hyenas are there because they're constantly going in and out doing raids. They have constant control. This was the fallacy of Israel giving up Gaza. Um, once you give it up, you're done. Because then... They already build the infrastructure, and it's too strong. When you have control, you can nip it in the bud. And you see their operations are very successful in the so-called West Bank because they have, have uh, military control, and they also have civilian um, you know, Jews living there, and it needs to expand more. Um, I'm hearing all this talk about a multinational force, what to do with Gaza after they hopefully defeat Hamas. 
what needs to be done is they need to control it themselves and they need Jewish um, settlement to return to to the area. And ultimately, they need to be driven out to the Sinai Peninsula and whatever. But that's neither here nor there. That's for Israel to determine and that's for us to defund any State Department two-state solution policy. Another interesting article, by the way, this is from the Free Beacon. The Rockefeller Foundation is bankrolling all of the Hamas rallies. So again, for those on the fake right that thought that Israel is the thing to oppose, the entire up, the global intifada, the, the social media with the Gaza civilians, it's all run by the very globalists that you're there. Like, there's a lot of these people on the right that kind of don't like Jews, and that's fine. But they want to blame everything on, like, the Zionists. The, Jew- the Zionists and Israel are the other side of it. The type of Jews that they think are involved to some degree with the globalism are the leftist Jews who are trying to destroy Israel, a.k.a. Soros, who is literally funding Hamas. So, you know, let's get our facts straight. Let's not just be reactionary and stupid. Let's Let's govern based on facts. But... Anyway, I, I want to tie together the point I just made about Israel's military and what they're doing and, and the softness that has come of the West and our country and even some on the right about civilian casualties and how this sort of citizen's posse, I think, could really change the game and, and, and the landscape, the skin in the game, not in just some sort of like, voluntary service for disasters, although they could do that as well. But no, to get boots on the ground to almost act as an extension of the police force, but they're civilians. And again, Sheriff Mark Lem, he told me he has 60 patrol posse members that have advanced training that go around in cars. He just said he doesn't have enough um, he doesn't have enough cars because obviously you have a Democrat governor, but if you had a good governor to push this and pass this out of the legislature and fund it, we could do a lot with this. But um, very interesting point. So again, both the need to have skin in the game and also this softness on 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 the military, how people don't understand what it takes to win a war and how if God gives you certain weapons, you need to use them to win it as quickly as possible. And people think you can just do these surgical strikes and somehow, you know, oh, I, it's terrible. And even people on the right, oh, I'm all for Israel, but I don't know. And meanwhile, Israel, even Israel's running a politically correct war. Again, they're needlessly losing soldiers because they're, they're too scared. So from what I've seen is they've died either being in a building in Gaza hit by RPG fire or or in a tank by anti-tank rounds. But again, the the Hamas dudes are, are could only get close enough to use anti-tank or RPG rounds because they're not using their artillery and air power decisively enough because they're scared of civilian casualties. I, I, I have a hard time blaming them when the whole world is against them. And again, this is what we need the U.S. to do. We don't, like I said, we don't need to divide the right and throw a bunch of money at them that they won't be able to use anyway because Biden will hamstring them. They need diplomatic cover is what they need. And that doesn't bankrupt us, doesn't cost us anything. It's the right thing to do. You know, often you'll hear 
you know, the neocons talk about morality in siding with the right things. Now, in the case of Ukraine, they're downright wrong. I'm not saying that there's a right side with Russia. It's just, you know, the Azo brigades is not something we should be funding. But their their sentiments aren't wrong that America should stand for the right things. It's just too often they've convinced people that that means either painful nation building, boots on the ground, endless commitments. A lot of it just means diplomatic statecraft. And that certainly we should be doing on behalf of Israel, which is on behalf of us. And part of that is banning care and the Muslim Brotherhood in America, which literally is Hamas. I mean, those of you familiar with the Holy Land Foundation trial, that was a charity, that, that's what they did. They funded Hamas. In America, by the way. We're not talking about Iran and Qatar. But people don't understand what it takes to win a war. And I have a listener, Fred, from Virginia, who's been emailing me for a long time about this point, that a lot of people on our side are like, oh my gosh, the globalists want to create World War III because they want to draft all of us and control us. And he takes a contrarian view, and I agree with it. And I've felt that way for a long time. I don't think they want a draft. A draft is the last thing they want. They don't want skin in the game. It's kind of the equivalent of our national security policy is kind of the equivalent of our domestic policy, where they've gone away from high-tax socialism and moved to low-tax socialism. So the overwhelming majority, like even, even myself, like I don't, because I have four kids with the generous child tax deduction, I don't pay a lot in federal taxes on net. And certainly people who earn less do not. And what happens is, so you have all these forthright policies and programs and dependency all done on the cheap because, you know, you get the benefits without having to have skin in the game. So they like low-tax socialism. Well, how do they get the money? They just print it. So it's a similar thing. We've been relying on less than 1% being the warriors for stupidity. Now, a lot of people have already made this point that, oh, you don't have a son at war, so you know you don't mind being a chicken hawk and dedicating ourselves, committing ourselves to war. And that's true. But there's also another aspect that we don't win the wars that we should be fighting properly, and we have this soft mentality. And I'm just going to read to you straight from a couple of uh, emails Fred sent, because I couldn't have made the case better myself, and then tying this back to our, our citizens' posse idea. He writes, to be clear, we are, we're already in World War III. It is what is called, in military affairs, fifth-generation warfare. In other words, because we're not going to fight that, oh, they're going to need a million soldiers and call everyone up. No, they actually don't want the manpower. So there will be no draft and mass conventional conflict. This is where Victor David Davis Hansen's The Dying Citizen is on target. A citizen in Rome or Athens was someone who paid taxes and fought the wars. This is why they had a sense of political rights and held actual political power. They both were destroyed when a separation occurred between those duties and rights. A separation occurred with universal male suffrage or something close to it and free bread and circuses. Today we are on the same path. A draft is the last thing the dystopian elites want because it creates a class of a citizen soldier who, like generations of American men before them, will have a sense of political rights and the actual power to pose a threat to the control 
exercised by the ruling caste. This isn't theory or opinion. Harvard historian Crane Britton did the empirical research toward his classical work, The Anatomy of Revolution. The commander at Lexington Green, John Parker, was a French and Indian War veteran, and the mass militia system made the American Revolution more likely and possible. The Russian Revolution was similarly enabled by the existence of massive body of men under arms who were utterly disenchanted with the regime due to the mass casualties of World War I. Can we collectively, as the pro-freedom movement, just stop with the dumb, silly, effeminate histrionics about a draft in World War III and deal with reality, which is bad enough? We are in this mess because during our fourth turning, we didn't have societal renewal of our republic occur, driven by a new generation of citizen soldiers being drafted to actual fight in a clash of civilizations to defeat militarist Islamism. Instead, George W. Bush and the New World Order told Americans to just go back to the shopping mall, spend money, and uh, accept being sexually humiliated by the TSA, or else the terrorists will win. People on our side don't want to accept that possibility because it hurts their feelings since 97% of Gen X and Gen Millennial chose not to serve and feel butthurt about it. And, and obviously, Fred himself is a combat veteran, Gen X combat veteran, and this is his worldview, and I, I agree with it. I agree with it. He has a counter view. Um, now, I'm not saying we need to have a federal draft, and I don't want one with the military we have. But the point is, we need to find a way to get skin in the game, and what better way to do it? You know, because a lot of people are like, well, I don't believe in this country. I don't believe in this military. But what if we had a county that we believe in? What if we took a state like Florida where you have a state guard and juice up the state guard but also decentralize it into – now, again, I, I have to think about this. There's two ways to do that. You could either have it under the auspices of the governor and kind of like – you know how you have Title 32 and Title 10 now? You, have, you could federalize the National Guard or it could be state. So here is just a step down. It could be state-controlled under certain circumstances, but default it would be under – the control of the sheriff of the county. Or you could make it totally decentralized and not part of the state guard and just kind of a sheriff's posse. Each state, each county does it the way it wants. Because again, I mean, this is part of my Patriot Academy trip that we're going to, by the way, patriotacademy.com slash Daniel. You can go to uh, go there, join me. We still have spots on the December 8th four-day trip to Fredericksburg, Texas uh, for our training. It's not enough. Owning guns is worthless. You need a critical mass of people with more advanced weaponry. And the only way that could be done is under the color of law. And I think this needs to be done through the county and state legislature. You really need a governor to champion this, ultimately, to make it go prime time. And then it's not just that it's a force to fight the anarchy and tyranny, which it certainly is, but it also brings back that sense of citizen. We just have too many of our people just in these red states. Oh, I got my guns. I've got my freedom, but you're not really free. And you have your rhino dogs that are elected. And slowly you have the refugee resettlement there. You got the illegals coming in. Got the homosexual agenda coming in. You got the green grift coming in. And you do nothing about it. And we're too fat and happy. 
We need people with skin in the game, on the line. So, you know, if joining the military is not your thing, which I wouldn't advise it now, but what if you had a state guard or a county sheriff's posse you could believe in? I want to develop this idea, and privately I'm going to be lobbying very hard for it. Any sheriff I can get a hold of and governor, this idea is its time has come. This is what our founders envisioned. This is how we had the revolution. We're not going to have it without that. You need a critical mass of informed citizens with skin in the game to be of, by, and for the community. And then, um, you know, Fred makes the case also, this is why we have people with stupid ideas of how to run a, a military. He says anti-Semitism is a big part of the left and the creepy neo-reactionary or alt-right. On the mainstream right, I think it's just ignorance about war. For most people, war is something you see on CNN, and they've been brainwashed into thinking that we fight wars, that when we fight wars, it's precise, neat, and fought with technology, not brutality. It is the big capital L lie of the military-industrial complex and the Pentagon machine. So now they expect wars to be fought from 30,000 feet in stealth bombers, and everything else is a war crime. There are literally dozens of men who fought in Iraq and Afghanistan and got railroaded to prison because they smoked some terrorist in a way that violated rules of engagement concocted by some military lawyer at a higher headquarters in the Pentagon. No one wants to know how the sausage is made, if you get my meaning. Beyond the purely practical reasons, this is why people being involved in their own security via local defense groups or local posse comitatus is important. It makes them understand the cost and be connected to it, to their own security and freedoms. This is why the founders were so big on a republic, not a democracy, and the first laws they passed were the militia acts. It is like people who have never had to grow food in a garden or slaughter an animal either on a farm or hunting. They think food comes in a plastic wrap in a grocery store. They live in a weird, disconnected reality. We are both gardeners. I have turnips and broccoli. I don't think we are going to make it because I planted a little late for the fall crops. And, you know, I mean, he makes that analogy, and I think it's really apt. It's like the judges and Jephthah, you know, in the, in the book of Judges. They come get him to fight the Ammonites, Ammonites because they don't want to fight their own battles. Then tribes like Ephraim complain he didn't get get to come there first and cheated them out of the glory of, of victory. Easy times make soft men. Then you need a Jephthah, literal son of a whore and a bandit, to fight your battles for you. Or like Rome, you recruit barbarians from beyond the Danube to guard you against the barbarians from beyond the Danube. Why? Because it's easier than having to do it yourself. And, and, and that's ultimately the problem. The symptom of everything because is that, that we just don't have an informed citizenry on the right. And this is where I want to get to another story today. Wyoming. What better place to retreat from everything evil, the anarchy, the tyranny in the world, than Wyoming? Beautiful country, beautiful mountains, open skies, the symbol of freedom, cowboy state, God guns, cows, farms. But I got news for you. BLM, and I don't mean necessarily 
the terrorist group, well, the other terrorist group, the Bureau of Land Management, they have their meat hooks all over the state dictating land use. You had the lockdowns there and mass mandates. We had a girl arrested in Cheyenne, maybe? I'm forgetting the city. We talked about it at the time. And this was like a year and a half into COVID for not wearing a mask. We have this dog schmuck, Mark Gordon, alt-left, ultra-leftist governor who was a COVID Nazi in that state. So you have a state where there's literally two Democrats left in the Senate. There's two Democrats, two left in the Senate. Republicans have like a 50 to 5 majority in the House. And we have this left-wing Republican governor. And how do you get that? So Mark Gordon wins overwhelmingly in his primaries. He got 58% of the vote. But yet Liz Cheney, when she ran, she lost and only got like 25% of the vote. What gives? Mark Gordon is, there's literally not one policy difference between the two. The answer is, we don't have an informed citizenry. Because of Trump and, and his network actually used their clout for the good for once, and really it was only selfish because it was personal. When it's not personal, he doesn't do it. So, they, you know, they made it very clear. They used the all their levers of power that, that the people in Wyoming fully understood what Liz Cheney was about. And, you know, three quarters of Republicans voted her out despite being a longstanding incumbent. And that's what should happen to every incumbent like that. But it doesn't. Because people don't know. So now, this has gotten a little bit of play, and it needs to get more play. And this is, this is such an important story because it's the embodiment of what we face in red states. So Mark Gordon runs, I love God, guns, and babies. You know, puts on the act, I'm a lifelong conservative. And then he goes to Harvard... And he gives a speech to Harvard of all times like now. And he starts bragging about carbon negative, not just carbon neutral. How carbon's a problem, we need to get rid of it. It's clear we have a, uh, a warming climate. It's clear that carbon dioxide is a major contributor. There is an urgency to addressing the issue. And this guy is a green grifter. He actually vetoed a bill from the legislature to ban eminent domain for those ugly windmills. You talk about destroying rural America. Those ugly, by the way, environmentally hazardous garbage windmills dotting our rural landscapes in red areas, greasing the skids for the transition away from natural God-given fuels that work. You know, again, you think about where you would think is the antithesis of a 15-minute city where you want to escape from this dystopian vision it would be Wyoming. But just like Texas, you have a governor that's with the green energy grift. He, he actually is leading the Western Governors Association program decarbonizing the West. That's like a Nazi term. Decarbonizing means genocide. That's a euphemism for saying, I'm going to... Carbon is life. I mean, you have... You have the, this is the reddest state by some measures, meaning... The last couple elections, it's given the Republican nominee the greatest margin of victory. And Republicans have almost wiped out every Democrat from the legislature. 
And yet, and yet, he leads the decarbonization of the West program. He bragged Wyoming is the first that has said that we will be carbon negative. He pushes carbon capture, wind, solar he was promoting, and electric vehicles. I mean, again, this is not a moderate. This guy is a WEF bot created in a lab. Piece of garbage. And um, he, he, by the way, always uses the term all of the above energy. Anyone you hear doing that, you know they're done. But this piece of garbage was just renominated, reelected last year. Got another three years of him. Another three years of him in the state of Wyoming because we don't have an informed citizenry. So imagine that. He is leading. It's like, it's like if I say the deoxygenation of a human being, it's unreal. The war on carbon is a war on life. I mean, in some ways, this is the biggest threat to our liberty. And it's not just like he's okay with some aspects of it. He's a leader of it. And, I mean, look, he this man was on the board of the Wyoming chapter of the Nature Conserv- Conservancy, a left-wing and eco-group that's for banning carbon. He was on the board as he was running as a Republican. I mean, he gave money to a bunch of Democrats throughout his life. But he was running as a Republican for state treasurer in 2012. This is unreal. And again, I mean, he's a, it's, it's on all issues, social, fiscal. He called, um, earlier this year, he vetoed a bill. I mean, we're, so, so what's the basic thing with the tranny stuff? The losers that don't want to ban the tranny agenda, they'll focus mainly on the female sports. Like, don't put men in female sports. So that's like the lowest hanging fruit. That's even, even the weak Republicans agree to that. He blocked it and called it draconian and discriminatory not to have males in female sports. But the same piece of garbage didn't feel it was draconian and discriminatory to ban human breathing and have mandates. You know you had a mass mandate statewide in Wyoming. Thanks to this piece of garbage. Mark Gordon. But now we have one good governor and the entire Trump movement and conservative media either bashes him or shadow bans him. So now there's no pressure to elect any other governor like that. How is th- This is the problem. We're all debating... You know, Republicans have a narrow majority in the House. There's not much they can do. You got a lot of Biden district Republicans they got to deal with. But the, the problem that I've been the only major national voice focusing on for years is that how does that explain areas where Republicans have 90%, 80% control? I mean, 100% control of the levers of power, but with like 80% majorities. And yet, those areas, they accept refugees, they promote illegal immigration, they promote criminal justice to foreign, they promote the green energy, they promote the social liberal stuff. You know, why, why is it? And the answer is, 
the way people like Mark Gordon of Wyoming, Greg Abbott of Texas, KIV of um, Alabama, Tate Reeves of Mississippi, Christy Noman, South Dakota, Doug Burgum, North Dakota. The way they get reelected is because we have an uninformed so-called conservative America. And then again, that has to do a lot with a lack of leadership of people. See, look, there's one thing that if you're a citizen, you, you don't know. I mean, they, they run as conservatives, and that's it's, it's disgusting. They, they don't run on, on what they really are, and I understand that. But it's people who do this for a living full-time and don't do anything else productive for the economy or society. I mean, at least do that. I say this all the time. I, I've, I've never had a normal job in my life. I've done politics since I was out of college. But at least I try to be informed about it so I could give over to people. And I, and I appreciate this, why you guys tune in. That's why I, I need you guys to give me a five-star rating so we surge above the other noisemakers on the top 50 on iTunes that are just empty calories. This is where it matters. All I ask is a handful of states... We don't even need a majority of them. Just a few. Where all the things that we claim to agree upon, it's like a kill zone that doesn't happen. So anyway, anyway getting back to, well, well, just one more thing before we get back to it. Um, you know, I just want to point out, similarly, you have in West Virginia, Jim Justice, the lockdown leftist green grifting animal Rhino from the pits of hell. Again, it's not like one or two issues. He's literally a Democrat. Donald Trump endorsed him. So now he's going to go on to become a senator. Everyone's like, Mitch McConnell is horrible. Right? Well, what's the one thing that's probably the, like the top thing that, that, that the MAGA movement hates? Ukraine. So like, Jim Justice is a proli- I mean, he West Virginia is a poor state. He was donating money, state funding, to uh, and weapons. To Ukraine. He is literally one of Mitch McConnell's butt boys from the second he steps foot in that Senate. And we're still doing this. Again, I'm not talking about like you have to do a deep dive on opposition research to find something in their record. Prima facie, this is what they're about. I got an email from a listener, Jonathan, in Idaho. I follow the Sacramento State football team and watch their games on ESPN+. They're playing Idaho State tonight. At one of the first commercial breaks, a PSA sponsored by the Idaho Health and Welfare Department, that's the state government, featured a man identifying as a small-town pharmacist saying the virus is still out there and even those in rural communities are at risk and the only way to defeat the virus is to get your yearly vaccination. I mean, rural Idaho. This is what's happening. And by the way, speaking of which, some of you might have seen rural Montana next door. There's that big story that the Daily Mail, why is it always the Daily Mail is breaking this? We don't have U.S. media doing it, even conservative media. Um, where is this? They had, so there's this organization called White Coat Waste Project that's kind of like unveiling where the gain of function came from. And they found that in 2018, there was a study published in the Journal of Virology that described an experiment of injecting Egyptian fruit bats with a coronavirus to see what happened. 
That was done at, at the Rocky Mountain Laboratories in Montana. It's an NIH shop. It was overseen by Fauci. And where did they get the coronavirus to inject? It was imported from, you guessed it, Wuhan. Who was the one overseeing the research? You guessed it, Ralph Barrick. 2018. Our investigation has uncovered the real-life horror story of how a shady roadside zoo whose curator was an NIH animal experimenter shipped off bats to a deadly government virus lab overseen by Fauci to be infected with a coronavirus obtained directly from the Wuhan lab that experts believe caused COVID-19. So this was done in in Montana. Now, okay, that was federal, obviously. But again, I mean, this is the sort of thing that we need vigilance. If you have the feds doing something bad, you should have, uh, you know, a Liberty Strike Force team that's working to, to and, and has elected governors and legislators that reflect those values that will call foul on it. You know, Florida banned gain-of-function research. We need other states to do that, but, but impose it and apply it against the feds, not just a private research institution. This occurred in Montana. You see what I'm saying? If you have an area where 80% share our values... So you should have nothing going on policy-wise in that zone that doesn't share your values. And yet it all goes on everywhere. So getting back to the point I was making, what I love about the, the idea of sheriff's posses, citizen sheriff's posses, citizen militias that are brought in under the color of law, it's not just the security that we absolutely need. And then that will serve as a state and local sanctioned bulwark eventually against federal tyranny with a critical mass force multiplier. But also as a political group, that if you have a bunch of people that are fighting the violence and the anarchy and they're putting some skin in the game, that gives you more of a appreciation of what's going on in the real world, more of a sense of urgency to also monitor things politically and serve as a political citizen's posse. And that's what we're trying to create. If you want to join one of our ConAction teams, ConAction.network, you could sign up. We only have them in red states. Um, Hopefully we'll create one in Virginia. There's elections on Tuesday, make sure you vote, assuming you have a Republican worthy of your vote there. Um, potentially, Republicans could pick up a trifecta and fully flip the legislature. So that's something that's important. We need to, we need to make areas red and, and, and make the areas that are already red reflect those values. Be a sanctuary for freedom a sanctuary against anarchy, a sanctuary against tyranny, a sanctuary against Agenda 2030, decadent values. Again, where is our San Francisco? You don't have it. And the reason you don't have it is because we don't have soldier citizens. We don't have informed citizens. This is my proposal. It needs to be developed more, but I think the contours are really the budding of an idea that's that's going to 
be the solution to a lot of the problems we're facing both on the tyranny and security anarchy side of the ledger. And ultimately, my hope is that that creates more of an informed, involved citizenry, which is really the only way we're ever going to have a political solution. And it's got to start with the areas that we can most easily convince our brethren to do something without the need to change hearts and minds of a generation of people that are irrevocably against us. I'm just telling you, you know, we always say America is different than Europe, but America is a big place and it depends where you are. The blue states are Europe. And the red states are rapidly becoming that if we allow governors like Mark Gordon to continue getting elected. So again, kind of a unique presentation today. I didn't go through some of the news of the day. We'll get to a little bit more of that tomorrow when we have more guests. I will have Sheriff Lamb on at some point to extrapolate on what he's done and how we could grow it and add to it. But let me know. Let me know what you know. some ideas you have, examples. We need to think of real solutions that are within the Overton window, at least in a red area, that we could start building the case for getting it funded in the legislature, getting it implemented by the local sheriffs. And together, that's what we're going to do. We need men of the times who understand the times, understand what ought to be done. It's got to be the way to fight globalism is with localism. You know, today, November 1st is the anniversary in 1993 of the creation of the European Union. That's what doomed Europe. If our goal, as DeSantis said, is to staunch that bleeding in America to prevent us from sliding into the European dynamic. It's got to come with localism, local bulwarks in red areas against our federal government, which has essentially become a European Union relative to the states. We need to go back to what our founders envisioned, inform citizenry, citizens' posse. What do you guys think? Let me know, Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. Please, um, my articles are now behind a paywall, but folks, it's if you sign up for a full year, it's $3 a month worth for the print. If you want to get together print and Blaze TV, which will be Glenn, Stu, Sarah Gonzalez, Steve Dace, all that, it's $7 for both print and Blaze TV. So, you know, just print is three, that's seven. Great deal. Yes, it's a paywall, but it's not a steep one. And that will allow us to push for things like militias, you know, that others cannot do. Folks, till tomorrow, God bless y'all. Thank you for listening.